0: let's go through every single package installed on a Linux install DVD. Specifically, Slackware 14.2. Of course, these are all open source packages that I'm talking about on this show, so they probably can still apply to you even if you're not running Slackware and even if you're not running Linux. These are open source packages so you can download the source code and run them on any computer, whether you're running Linux, Mac, Windows, BSD, doesn't matter. You can learn, probably, something from this episode. So, let's get started. Today's first application is Itinerary. Itinerary is, well, sort of an awkward application to talk about at this point, because I haven't traveled since 2019, I guess. So, this application is largely useless to me currently, but I'm glad to have found it because when I start traveling again eventually, this is the kind of application I would love to have. I, I wish I had had this much, much earlier. The um there's a companion app to this app that I would also want. And maybe it exists. I, I don't I I haven't seen it, but it, it is something that I would like. But anyway, first let's talk about the one that exists. It's called KDE Itinerary. You launch it. And you 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 get a little helpful-ish message about how to use it, which is you can import data. And you can import data either by opening a PDF ticket, a plane ticket, a train ticket, however you travel, boat ticket, like ferry. Uh, and it will apparently parse that PDF and put it into your itinerary. Alternately, you can import travel uh, appointments i guess or events from an out an, an android calendar from entries made through kmail, k-mail through nextcloud or thunderbird um as long as those are synchronized over you know and accessible over dav web dav or i guess dav x5 which i don't actually know what that is um, i'm assuming it's a form of of WebDAV, or, or I guess DAV protocol, so I, I I'd not seen the X superscript 5 before, but I'm sure that it's something very exciting. I don't use DAV that much, to be honest. Uh, or you could uh, connect or, or transfer information through KDE Connect f- uh, using the K-Mail itinerary plugin, which I have not been able to find, or by scanning a boarding pass barcode and pasting the contents that you that you get when you when you scan the the barcode those are all the ways that you can get information into itinerary bizarrely manual entry is not an option so that that feels a little bit weird to me that you can't enter the data into the application it feels very much kind of like a i guess a viewer application i guess as as if though let's say you might wonder, well, why can't I create an image in Gwenview? Gwenview is an image viewer. Why can't I create an image there? Well, you can't. You can view it. That's what itinerary is. It's a a, a travel plan viewer, and that's it. So that that's a little bit limiting um, from from the standpoint of well, if you don't have anything in your itinerary f- scheduled for for traveling that itinerary, the KDE itinerary could parse, then you can't really see itinerary in action. And that's mostly what, that's where I am right now, pretty much. So that's fine. The, the gist of it I've got, and there is a way to get itinerary, KDE itinerary on your mobile device, which is kind of neat. It's, it's a little bit of a roundabout way. You have to go to the KDE F droid, release repository. So itinerary isn't on FDroid, which the FDroid is, in case you don't know, is an open source, a free and open source repository, Android application repository, for free and open source applications. Meaning FDroid itself is free and open source. You install that onto Android, and then you have access to a bunch of free and open source applications, as if though it was a Google Play Store or whatever, Um, but instead it's it's F-Droid. Itinerary isn't in F-Droid, but KDE maintains an F-Droid, I guess, compatible repository uh, for releases, and you can go there and download the application that you want and install it on your Android, assuming you have the ability to install an APK through through android i know some android phones don't sort of give you that access or or i mean technically they do but it's restricted through some policy on that device i mean either way it doesn't really matter because i mean it's not like getting it on your device unlocks special features of the desktop application it is the same application it's just instead of being on your desktop it's on your phone which i think is still useful because if you're traveling You might not have your KDE laptop with you. Um, I wouldn't if I were traveling, to be honest. By default, I would take my work laptop, and my work laptop runs GNOME 3. So having itinerary on my phone would actually be quite nice. I mean, obviously, I could install it on my work laptop, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, realistically, just for an itinerary app, I could see it being on a mobile device being very useful. So that's itinerary. I don't have PDFs to import. I, I don't have anything to really to, to import into it at all. And even on on the phone, there's an added option to check a calendar. But like, there's nothing on my calendar for for traveling. It just doesn't, it's just not something that I'm doing right now. So it's not very useful to me. But it is a very cool application. I would love it Uh, if KDE would come out with a travel expenses tracker, that would be really nice because if you travel for work, then you know that one of the fun administrative tasks you get to do during your trip and after your trip, and then probably again after your trip because you did it wrong the first time and so your finance department gets back to you and asks you for clarity or for more receipts or something like that, um is you get to track all your your expenses like if you grab a bagel in the airport because you know you're not going to get anything on the on the plane or, or if you get a coffee at the airport because why not then um then it's just it would be really nice to have a little application where i could scan that receipt and throw the receipt away and not have to carry it around and try to sort through it at the hotel later. So that would be a very cool addition or companion app to Itinerary. But that's not something that exists right now in Itinerary, and I I don't know of an application currently that does offer that stuff. But Itinerary is really a, a nice looking app. It's a really, I could see it being a very useful app, not for me right now, but eventually, again, maybe it will be useful. So that's itinerary. Check it out if if you travel. Next up is Juke or or Yuck. I'm not really sure how you say it. J U K and Juke or Yuck or whatever is a it's um a music playing application. Much sort of I was about to say much like Elisa but that's not quite right. It it is not much like Elisa. It is, I would say, a a simpler application. It was something that I was using for quite a while until I finally just switched over to Elisa when Slackware 15.0 came out. And I've already raved, I think, about Elisa in the previous episode. I, I hope I got it across how much I was really enjoying Elisa, and that is that is so true. I can't... I may as well just say it again. Since using Elisa, I have... I I have sort of, as the Amarok subtext or uh, subheading, subtitle goes, I have rediscovered my music. Like, it's just been so fantastic. I have discovered so many albums that just kind of get lost in the text shuffle of a file system, but sort of... Ping your interest again once you, once you have the album cover right there on your screen staring at you, and that is something again kind of missing from from juke. Juke is um, it really is more like a let's call it a a play uh, um, a jukebox because that's kind of or maybe it's maybe it's less than a jukebox because now that I'm thinking about it, I should probably look for some, um, images here on DuckDuckGo for jukebox images. I think jukeboxes generally... don't they show you the album cover in that top part? No, they don't. Okay, never mind. Okay, so it is like a jukebox. I haven't seen a jukebox in ages myself. Um, I mean, now I have, because I just searched for images of them. But isn't that funny? I thought maybe they were album covers in that top part, but it doesn't look like they are. Yeah, it looks like it's just a big list of songs that you can choose from. And that's what Juke is. That is exactly... That's the interface of Juke. I mean, it is a text list in one window. It is a bunch of playlists on the left. And then um, I think optionally... I think that's how I usually have it laid out. I want to. I was thinking there was a third panel, but I don't actually think there is. So it's it's that simple. When you first launch Juke, it will ask you where you keep your music. It defaults to slash home slash your username slash music. So if that's where you keep your music, then that's you can have it there. You could also add folders. Though. You don't you don't only have to have one. So you could have some of your your music in home user, you know, tilde slash music, you could have some on an external drive, you could have some elsewhere. So you could add, you can add a whole array of locations for that. And then you could also um, choose folders within that or or outside of that to exclude from being searched for music. So if some some folder keeps coming up, uh, you know, for whatever reason, maybe like audiobooks, for instance, maybe you have a bunch of audiobooks and you keep that in your uh, music folder, but you don't really want access to that in your, your jukebox, then you could exclude that folder, that subdirectory. After it scans your music collection and it launches, and that takes a little while, obviously, because it's parsing your file system and all of the metadata and all that other good stuff, uh, it pops up the, the normal player that you'll you'll interact with on a regular basis. And that is, as I say, something on the left for, um, your playlists, it defaults to a collection list. So that's everything in your music collection, as defined by the folders that you've pointed to as, as, uh, as your music, um, folders. And then from there, uh, and on the, in the collection list, on the in the right panel, you'll see all of the songs in the collection list. To create a new collection, or as we more often call them, a, a playlist, you click on the left panel, and you create new empty playlist. You can also create a search playlist and a playlist from a folder, both of which are really great little features so an empty playlist is an empty playlist where you you can add whatever songs you want to to that playlist and and that'll contain those songs a search playlist is as as you might guess it's a playlist containing the results of a specific search so if you if you know you want to add all of um I don't know. Um, I'm thinking of like a dozen artist names, none of which sound like words. So like there's IO. I don't know, you know, that's that's a name of an artist, but does that really mean anything to you? Uh, So anyway, you could add, let's say, um, Western Pennsylvania to a... You could search for Western Pennsylvania it'll come up with a bunch of of songs, or or a couple of songs, because their songs typically are quite long. And that becomes the playlist. So that's, that's kind of nice, because that that kind of limits the selection. Um, There's, there's also the ability to just search through the track list, like manually, and then play from there, you don't have to make a playlist, you could just Literally do a search and then play what you find. Um, there's also the playlist from a folder. So if you keep your albums or your songs or your music, whatever, in directories that are then in, you know within subdirectories that maybe limit those songs by that artist to a specific album, or maybe it's a mood playlist that you you want you you that you have a relaxation playlist or something like that or a a folder of relaxing music or something and you could make that a playlist because it's a folder so it can generate a playlist from that folder so there's there's i think a pretty reasonable sort of system for creating playlists i i quite like that i think they could probably go further and make a couple more but i i feel like that's actually a pretty good range to select from and i feel like that's a lot sort of stronger than elisa's playlist ability that said it's not something in practice i personally need uh for elisa well for anything as i've said i think before i i I really listen to whole albums. I don't I don't pick and choose songs. I'm not really a mixtape type of person. Um so I just listen to stuff by album. I mean half the time I've I've ripped CDs as a single track that contains all of the tracks or maybe sometimes two. Uh if I know it was a vinyl, I'll I'll do a side A and a side B, so two tracks per album, something like that. But I don't pick and choose. So I don't tend to do a lot of playlists and in fact when I was using Juke I I generally just had one playlist and the playlist was just essentially a I would I would clear the playlist every time, you know, every every time I launched the application pretty much and then I would add the the things into that playlist that I wanted to to listen to And then when I was done, I would clear it and add more stuff, you know, so it was like, it was really just kind of like, the staging ground for what was going to play for the next hour or two hours. And and then it would get refreshed, because I just I don't, I don't use playlist functionality all that much other beyond just knowing that, that I need to, to, to play um, some music. So the other feature of Juke, which is quite nice, is an built-in tagging system. So I, I said on Elisa that I spent a good week or two, eight hours a day for, for every day of the week, practically. Not really, but I mean, it, it was a long time. I spent a long time on it, re-tagging all of my music, like my entire collection of, I don't know, 15,000 songs or 30,000 songs or whatever, whatever it is, I forget, but... I retagged everything because, yeah, it was probably more like 15,000. Cause like I say, I, I know I don't have 15,000 albums and I do rip a lot of albums as single tracks. Anyway, whatever it is, I, I tagged, I retagged like a lot of it and I used easy tag and KID3 tag or no, KID3, I think is what it's called to, um, to help me with that. But Juke actually has it all sort of built in. It's, it's right there at the bottom or you can, you can, sh- you can reveal. The, the tagging interface, and it just pops up into the juke window, and whatever song you have selected, you are able to see the, the the tags as they exist, and then edit them as you as you please. So that's kind of nice. There's also a tag guesser, so that if you have a bunch of things that you want to tag, they're named consistently. A lot of times you can just have Juke. Try to guess those tags from the from the file name. So that's quite nice. Juke. It's very nice. It's a good application. Like I say, I'm not actually using it anymore, but it was the player that I had switched to uh, sort of in that lull between 14.2 and 15.0. And by that lull, I'm talking about, I think, sort of the year-long lull that maybe this podcast was sort of aware of. I started predicting 15.0 probably about a year before it actually happened. So from that time on, I think I, I had used... I started using Juke. I don't remember what the impetus for that was. I mean, really, for the longest time, VLC was my go-to player for for all of my music. Uh, to be fair, I think that the a big reason for that was just because vlc i knew beyond any doubt that it could play all of the music that i had whether it was an mp3 from ages ago an aug an opus a um the m4a you know FLAC, whatever format the music was in i knew that vlc would be able to handle it and and that just kind of removed the layer of having to think too hard about Hey, I want to hear this album right now. Let me throw it into a player. Um, but I guess at some point, like it all kind of leveled out, and I haven't had, I haven't had to struggle with codec recognition in ages. I don't remember the last time, so not that big of a deal. And it just seems like whatever application I open, I can use for my music. And so I, I decided why not use a KDE specific app so that it ties in with the little multimedia widget up in my system tray. Now, if you don't use KDE, you may not know about this little widget, but there is a a little icon in your system tray that is either a play button or a pause button. This is assuming you have a a media player launched. And by media player, I mean Elisa, Juke, Dragon, uh, probably other things that I'm not thinking of right now. But anything that ties in, I, I guess probably to dbus or something i I don't really know i haven't looked into it It, but it'll that'll trigger that little icon and that way you have a centralized location to control your your whatever multimedia is playing like i say it can be video or audio and sometimes i do watch movies or tv uh, series as i am working you know just sort of as background noise so it's kind of nice to have that widget up there my new keyboard that i got which i talked about in a previous episode it has a multimedia button so that that i can skip tracks and pause and play so that's nice as well so i've got a lot of controls in in a lot of places quite nice quite useful very handy to have so juke and elisa both do tie into that widget so it feels once again very integrated if i haven't used the word integrated enough when praising kde then there it is again it's integrated okay, so that's um, itinerary and juke let's go have coffee and I'm looking forward to coffee actually because I got a really, really great coffee um, the other day and and then we'll come back and we'll talk about K3B <laughs> The other day I... We're back, by the way. Um, the other day I decided to try a different coffee than I usually get. Mostly because the coffee that I usually get is an hour away. I just haven't had a chance to go an hour away lately. And I it didn't look like we were going to get out to, to the hour away store uh, anytime soon. And I was running low on coffee, so I wasn't going to obviously let that happen. I wasn't going to run out. So I decided to try like a mail order coffee. So I went online and looked around, and in New Zealand there is a place called Flight Coffee, apparently. Just learned about it last week. Now I know it exists. It is not terribly close to me. In fact, it's all the way on the north, north. It's on the north tip of the North Island. I am on the, I'm pretty close to the south tip of the South Island. Not, not quite, not quite. You can still go south from where I am, but I'm pretty darned far south so anyway it's not close but i mean it's it's in new zealand and i figured why not give it a try because they are selling through you know over the internet they can i can buy a a kilo of coffee and have it sent to me so i looked through their their offerings and i found one called milky i think is what it's called and i thought that sounded good and so i ordered a kilo and they sent it to me and it arrived pretty pretty promptly and it, I have to say, it is, it's it's amazing. I mean, it, it tastes reminiscent, I will say, of, I think it's called Yurgachev, which I had, I think that's what it's called, uh, which I had back in Pittsburgh at a cafe called 61C, which is practically where I used to live. And it was a great coffee. Like, I really enjoyed that coffee. It was one of my favorites. It was a little bit, tended to be a little bit on the dark side, the way that 61C Served it, which could be good, could be bad, depending on what you're looking for. But um, it had, like, Urkichev had this sort of almost a a back flavor to it that would kind of creep up as you drank, and it was a re- it's a really smooth and mild flavor, which is what I love, and and it was just so nice. But I have had haven't had that in ages now. I mean, certainly not from Pittsburgh, but I mean, just in general, I haven't had it in ages. Um, but this coffee is is a little bit reminiscent of it. I mean. For all I know, it is it. I mean, Yurgachev is like a region of, you know, from um, somewhere in Africa, and that's where the the coffee comes from. So, I mean, for all I know, this could be this could be that. Maybe that's why it's reminiscent of it. But it it also, frankly, reminds me of my my old real favorite Sawtooth Mountain Mud, which I had in I think Joshua Tree, California, a long time ago. And it was, I mean, it is just the smoothest cup of coffee you could ever imagine. This comes really close to that, to Sawtooth. Um, It's just so, so good. And I'm, of course, drinking it out of my favorite, my new favorite mug, so it's even better than probably it would be in some other mug. Um, So, I don't know, if you're, I guess, ever in New Zealand, go to Flight Coffee in Auckland and uh, pick up a cup of their Milky uh, coffee, I think is what it, like, that's the name of the, the blend or whatever. I don't know why they call it that. I mean, they had to call it something and, and it is, it's really, really good. So let's talk a little bit about K3B. K3B is, I think, arguably one of the star applications of KDE. I mean, it is one of those applications that, well, it used to, I mean, it was the KDE app that everyone had installed no matter what because it just made interactions with optical media, and I'll get to what that means in a moment, so easy. It just made it so simple. And it continues to do that to this day. Optical media, in case you don't know, they're little metal discs, round little metal discs. They look a lot like coasters. They're not very good as coasters. I've tried it. Um, it's not. They don't, they don't absorb moisture, so... You you tend to just get sort of uh, a lot of condensation dripping from your glass onto the onto the metal disc, and then and then what do you do? So not great as a coaster, but that's what it looks like. And you put them into a, an optical media drive. They were commonly called CDs and DVDs, and I guess Blu-rays and other things like that. But that's well, mini disc. Um, so that that's that's kind of what K3B did was it it made it so that you could read and copy and write to c d s and d v d s or rather c d r's and d v d r's because i mean it's c d and d v d implies actually a read only uh media but the the uh c d r is that is that right yeah c d r what what did the r stand for surely that was read oh no recordable maybe but then what was RW? Rewritable? I don't know. Anyway, ancient, ancient media that nobody really uses anymore except except me because I, I just installed 15.0 on a, on via DVD. Although I did also install it, if you'll recall, for, over the USB stick as well. So anyway, um, it's an old media, and sometimes you have to write data to them. And if you want to do that, K3B is the way to do it but it, it does so much so when you launch k3b and this is one of the great great interfaces i think i mean it's it's a very if you look at it you're gonna think oh my gosh it looks like K, kde 3.0 is still alive and kicking because it does have that kind of feel to it. it it is i wouldn't say it had a super modern look and feel and yet it is super super effective you launch k3b and the first thing you see well the first thing you might see is a permission error because if you are not added to the correct group for k3b then k3b will not have access to or or you at the controls of k3b will not have access to important applications that that k3b uses in the background so like the cdr r, r No, CDR, whatever, the CDR tool kit that we talked about way back in episode whatever. um, It uses those libraries to to manipulate data to and from CDs and DVDs. And if you're not in the correct group to make that happen, then you have to add, add yourself to that group. It's something I did a long time ago now, and I don't... Well, I'm not seeing the error now, so I guess I must have done it maybe when no, that wouldn't make sense i guess it must just be just work on 15.0 i guess um or maybe you see that error after you after you start using the thing i don't know i think it it came up pretty early in 14.2 so maybe it's all it's all fixed or all all sorted now it wasn't broken but maybe it's something that's all, a preset now in 15.0 i don't know but if you see an error just just add yourself to the appropriate group it's not it's not a big deal. It's pretty simple. So um, let's see. So you've got an interface here. You've got um, kind of a, a weird sort of tree view of your. I mean, the view isn't weird, but it, it's just weird that this is on the top to me. But on the top, you've got um, sort of the indication of a, a, a of an optical disc. And now in, on mine, it's currently saying no media. No medium is present because I don't have a, an optical drive right now. And under that, you have a bunch of folders, all the folders in your home directory. Um, but you have access to other places as well. So you got that. And then on the right top, you've got sort of like an empty space, which you could imagine, and you'd be correct that that was kind of the building area for the CD or the DVD that you're about to write. So it's, it's the data area uh, to, that's going to get written to a disc. Uh, the playlist, as it were. Um, and maybe the literal playlist in case, you know, if you're making an audio CD. Which is, K3B is great for that as well, by the way. Okay, so on the bottom, though, that's the that's the real star of this application. It is, uh, it says, Welcome to K3B, the CD, DVD, and Blu-ray creator. Creator spelled with a K. So the three first, the the, the three dedicated options are new data project, new audio CD project, and copy media, or copy medium. And a new data project will sort of get K3B into the mode of understanding that it's going to create, it's going to write files, bit-for-bit bit files, to a optical device. New audio CD kicks it over into audio CD mode so that it knows that it's not going to copy the fi- I mean, it is going to copy the files, but it's not going to copy the files is going to copy the contents of the files as audio data onto an optical media. And then copy medium puts it into the mode of, okay, well, first I need to read a optical device and then store that somewhere. And then I'm going to write it to a blank optical device or uh, medium. So that's, those are the three top um options. But then there's more actions. And if you click on that, you get a good idea of just how much you can do with K3B. There's new data project, continue multi-session project. That was um sort of a not a hack, but a a method of doing optical media where you could write a little bit to the media and then use the media and then come back and append more to it and then use the media and then append more multi-session. So you could do several you could write stuff to it, which I mean, I know, I realize as I say this, and I think everyone realized at the time that that just seems very primitive. Like that, the fact that you would get excited about being able to append data to to your media later seems really primitive. It seemed primitive at the time. It was not elegant. Optical media is not an elegant solution. It's a horrible solution. It, it it turns out to have not really been as durable as all the advertisements were claiming. I remember Kodak Media advertisements saying, "If you use our our optical media, you know, you're you're guaranteed, your data is guaranteed for 100 years." Literally 100 years. I wish I'd clipped that ad. Um and of course, no, that never happened. The CDs degrade, uh the metal flakes, it's just horrible. So anyway, um That was a multi-session project. Then there's the new audio CD project, new mixed-mode CD project. So you could have audio and data, so that was kind of cool. A couple of bands actually did do that back in the, I don't know, early 2000s or so, probably. They would have, like, here's our new album, here's 60 minutes of music, and if you put it into your computer, you'll get 20 minutes or 10 minutes or, you know, 5 minutes of i don't know like a music video a little tiny music video at 320 by 240 pixels or whatever um or 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 here you know there'd be a a pdf of of some things or, or whatever really i mean it was a data cd they could put whatever they wanted to on onto it so there's that so then there's a new video cd project new video DVD project, new eMovie, no, sorry, eMovix project. Don't I don't know what that is. Copy medium, format, erase, rewritable disks. So again, some optical medias were rewritable. You could format them and then write more, you know, write new data to them. Of course, those always had problems as well because some optical drives wouldn't read those kinds of data, those disks. So they were useless to you or something thought it had been rewritten, but then it didn't really get rewritten or it didn't get formatted. It was just horrible, horrible. CDs and DVDs are horrible. Just don't don't explore this at all. Burn image. So if you have a .img or a .iso, you could just burn it bit for bit to an optical media. So you're just copying an iso. That was how Linux was distributed for a very long time. Linux distribution would give you the .i... Dot ISO, you would take it into K3B and go to burn image. You would select the dot ISO on your hard drive, select the media in your optical media drive, and and now you've got a distribution on a disc. It was great. It was that was actually really nice. Um, I mean, it's no nicer than having a USB stick with a distribution on it. But as I said before, uh, in the Slackware fifteen episode, I think uh, there is something about having a disc on your shelf so that whenever you need it for whatever reason it's there whereas you know if you're going to put it on a a usb drive it's going to get rewritten the next day you're not going to keep it on that usb drive it's just i don't know it's the form factor or something maybe we need cd sized usb sticks it's a horrible idea don't do that anybody um and then there's rip audio cd rip video cd rip video dvd so the, the sort of a handbrake situation. If you need stuff off of the optical media, you could do that. You could extract audio from a CD. You could extract video from a video CD. I've never actually seen a video CD, I don't think myself, but I, I understand that they were things, I think, more prevalent in Europe. And then there was, of course, RIP. Video DVD, DVD video was pretty prevalent. There's Usually encryption on video DVDs, a system called CSS, confusingly, it has nothing to do with the web style sheet format. Um, I think it was called C, I'm pretty sure it was called CSS. Very confusing. Um, so getting around that sometimes could be tough. Um, handbrake kind of came in and made it pretty, pretty easy to be honest. Um, but I guess you could do it in K3B as well. So that's K3B. I mean really there's not a whole lot else to it it is it it does what it does and it does it really well and it does it very clearly and I think that was the big the really big kind of feature of K3B was that you didn't have to think too hard about the the the, the this very common sort of everyday process and and that wasn't necessarily the, the case with the the terminal commands i mean sometimes i mean you can go back and listen to the episodes where i do the terminal commands they're not actually hard but if if you're not used to it or if you don't do it all the time you know enough often enough to develop sort of a casual familiarity with it then sometimes, yeah, something like K3B can just make it super easy and, and you just don't stress about it. You just think, oh, cool, I'll just fire up K3B and do the thing that I need to do. K3B uh, on this install, it uh, if I go to settings, uh, or yeah, settings, K3B uh, devices, it identifies um, that I have a DVD drive? Do I? I don't have a DVD drive. Hold on, let me look at something. I absolutely do have a DVD drive. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that I had a DVD drive. I do not know where this came from. It is in my tower. I must have put it in there when I was putting in my um, my new NVMe drive for 15.0. It's really funny. I, I honestly forgot. I thought my only DVD drive was a USB one that is sitting in a drawer... Um, just out of reach. So, okay. So I do have a DVD drive, and it's telling me what this drive is. It is a DVD plus negative RW, TS-H653F, Foxtrot. D200 is the firmware, and the write capabilities are DVD-R, DVD-RW, DVD, DVD, plus RW, DVD plus R, DVD plus R, R, dual-layer, Oh my gosh, and it keeps going on. Okay, well, you get the idea. A bunch of CD formats as well. The read capabilities encompass that and then go beyond that. Buffer size is 2 megabytes. Um, Does it support burn-free? Yes, it does. I don't know what that means. And then this is the part that I was actually getting to. Uh, The write modes are S-A-O, T-A-O, R-A-W, S-A-O. You'll remember these maybe from the from the terminal commands a lot of those are the cdr dao cd record cdr uh, skin cdr or or rather um well make iso fs and and so on so all of those things k3b has access to and it has it could have access to more like if you had apparently vcdx rip installed it could use that i don't know what that is i don't have it installed transcode not i don't have that installed right now so it's not found and so on so it 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 has a bunch of things that it has access to um and there's a list of permissions in uh the programs so it it sees that i have permissions uh correctly applied but it can help you apply those if you don't And so on. And of course, I mean, you can, you know, this is an application. So you can, you could start building a project and then save that project before writing it and then come back to it later. So there is a concept of sort of, you know, optical media projects that aren't ready to be burned yet, but, but do exist. Um, and I think that's about it. So yeah, it's a great application and like I say, it was one of those I think that really kind of set KDE in a way apart because it was just such a powerful application. And you know, I mean other other um desktops in in Linux had other optical media interface applications it wasn't like k3b was the only one in town at least not not as far as i remember um what was it bracero for gnome so you know th- th- they were there but k3b it just i think it just really had everything and and the workflow was so clear that i i think it it won a lot of people over it it won a lot of allegiance um for a long time and and i think the only reason it sort of lost allegiance insofar as it has is is that just optical media just isn't really a thing anymore Um, and if it is it it is true i mean i think the less we use optical media the less we do with optical media so for instance five years ago 10 years ago 12 years ago you 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 know you, you might have you might have an RW, an RW disc and an RW or an and an R disc and a um and something that you need to rip. You know, you've got all these different things, and you're doing all these different activities. You're making an audio CD today, and then an MP3 CD for that fancy new player that actually reads MP3s. Um, so you're putting a hundred songs on that one, and only the twelve songs on this audio one for your car because your car doesn't read the MP3s, but it does do the audio um and and you're just crossing your fingers that it'll actually read a cdr drive because apparently the dies were different and sometimes you wouldn't have any luck with them um and, and then you're you're ripping something from this you know so and you're doing a data project over here so like all of these different activities required a very robust application and that's what k3b is whereas a lot of other applications to my memory were they were a little bit less robust you couldn't quite count on them having the feature that you that you needed whereas k3b it just had all the features okay that's enough of that so let's talk about k activities k activities i'm going to go to less slash var slash log slash packages k-activities. Oh, I've got a choice here. Okay, so there's k-activities stats and k-activities just k-activities. Which one am I doing? I'm doing k-activities first. This is an API for using and interacting with activities as a consumer application, adding information to them, or as an activity manager. So as you could probably guess from that description this isn't like an application that you're going to launch this is more like a a library set and a bunch of header files and some cmake rules things that we've seen on other on other um other packages like uh what was it um event event viewer or um incident incident reporter or whatever it was called little little helper well ffmpeg thumbnail certainly little little helper applications that that you don't really interact with directly unless you're developing for kde and this is what this this is what that provides It, it gives your application your kde application or your kde aware application if you please awareness of of the activities um what do you call it framework i guess or or subsystem within kde and activities in kde are something that i don't know whether they've quite i don't know if they've still yet hit their stride i think everyone who knows about them really really loves them in concept i don't know i have yet to meet anyone who uses them on a daily basis or, or actually really thrives from, from using them. And I I think that in a weird way, I think a lot of maybe KDE users or a lot of, yeah, maybe a lot of KDE users tend to be, you know, multitaskers. And I know a lot of people say there's no such thing as multitasking, but, um, whatever the case, you might want to have access to, to different components of your system within your heart within your your desktop and something that deliberately stands in the way of you having access to those things is actually not a feature and that's kind of what activities does so there is an executable that gets installed with this it's called kactivities-cli cli and it is, as its name implies, a command line interface, a terminal command, for k-activities. If I do k-activities-cli, or dash-cli, space-dash-help, dash it gives me a little list of the commands. So uh, the the most obvious one, I guess, workflow-wise, would be list-activities. So that's dash-dash-list-activities. And it's telling me that I've got two activities one is called co- one the current one with the unique id of 63 f80 cd blah is called desktop and another one that's running in the background but not it's not my current one it, with a unique id is called game and so that's those are two activities that i have and if i were to switch from one activity to the other then well let's do it so if i hit control um not control tab uh what is it um super q no not super q either i don't know that i have that set up i guess i i i did at one point but i I guess maybe i don't right now so i'm going to instead just type in activities overview in my um in my menu and that didn't do it either. Fascinating. Okay so let's do, oh it's alt d today apparently in my desktop. Alt delta. That didn't do it either. All right I'm going to right click on my desktop and go to show activity switcher. There we go. Now I've got my activities panel on my left and it is showing me that I'm currently using my desktop activity and then if I switch over to my game activity, hopefully I'm still recording in Audacity, I don't actually know. Then I see a new desktop and no applications are running here. It's completely, it's an empty space. And the theory is, the intent is that I could use this space for some other, well, activity that is separate from my day to day activities. So I could, I could launch, uh, well, I guess I'll just open Oh, that's interesting. I just tried to open the desktop window in that activity in Dolphin, and it switched me away from that activity, um, which seems weird. So, okay, now I've launched a new um, Dolphin in that activity. So now I've got a Dolphin window open in this activity, and that's the only thing that's open, and now I'm going to right-click on the desktop again, show activity switcher, and go back to desktop, I'm gonna switch over to Audacity to make sure that I've actually been recording, and it looks good. It looks like everything's still there. I don't see any big blank moments of silence. I thought that was the case, but I just wasn't sure. So switching between activities um, obviously does not like pause the other applications running. It just gives you a, a fresh view of a, of a desktop that is not that, that does not have the same applications shown so they're still running obviously but they're they're not in front of you and so i mean what's the difference between an activity and a virtual workspace well an activity gives you a bunch of new virtual workspaces so there's that um but why would you use an activity instead of a virtual workspace or why would you use an activity if you have virtual workspaces couldn't you just put your other application on some other virtual workspace and then just use that. And I the the way that it was explained like way back at the KDE 4.0 release event, yeah, 4.0, not 5, back in 2006 was, you know, the concept was that you would have different activities on your computer activity spaces and and those would be sort of, they were geared towards, for instance, your work life versus your home life. And so you would grab your laptop and go to work. You would switch over to your work activity. And maybe your work activity, you would have um, your your work email account set up there. and And you would be able to use your work applications, your IDE or your... Your office suite or whatever you're using at work, and and that would be that activity. And then when you got home, and you and your work activity would have an awareness of your work network, so you'd be signed on to the work network at at work. And then you would go home, and you would switch over to your home activity, and. And now your home activity would have an awareness of your home network, so you'd be attached to your home network. You would run your home-based applications, your, um, I don't know, whatever you would run at home, Graniteer and, or what was it called, Graniteer, something like that, K-blocks, um, a, a terminal of Firefox, you know, whatever. So there was sort of, sort of this, this concept that you could separate your, the different aspects of your life into different activities. And that sounds kind of cool. But I, again, I think in real life, a lot of us are multitaskers and that's just not convenient. I know that when I'm working, I mean, especially in in this day and age, when it's, you know, so many people are still working remotely or are just working remotely because that's how they've been working. Um, I'll be working on, on something and, and the last thing in the world I really want is to have to switch to a different activity just to check—I don't know—my personal email account, or, or to check a, a web page for uh, a cool new album on Bandcamp, or, or whatever. So I don't know. I think I feel like the separation between, I guess, work life and home life, on on the one hand, seems kind of nice, but on the other hand, it's actually just this weird sort of block between just getting the information you want quickly and to make it a little bit more puzzling it's not as if though one activity excludes the other activity for instance let's say i have switched over to my i don't know my gaming activity switch over to my gaming activity if i go to my applications my favorite applications are are the same favorite ap- applications from my other activity, so that's that hasn't changed. It's still my my usual set of applications. Uh, if I go down to I don't know the development menu, that all of those applications are still there. If I go down to my games application, well, there are my games. There's Lutris, so I could I could launch that in this activity, but but what is like why is it significant that it's in this activity? So I don't know that the separation between b- between an activity and a workspace really. I don't think that it's. I don't think it's very clear, and it really does seem like activity is just a really complex way to get a new set of virtual workspaces. Whereas I I could really kind of imagine instead of doing that, you would just add more virtual workspaces to your current activity, and and use it that way. So I'm not a hundred percent sure of about like sort of what what the activities are, are really intended for. I I I feel like I feel like they're a good idea. I just don't quite understand. I, I don't see that they're that they're actually I don't think they've differentiated themselves enough from just being able to switch to a different virtual desktop, really. Um or workspace, whatever we call them now. So yeah, activities are, 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 are neat, it's a good idea, it's an interesting idea, I should say. Um, if you right-click on your activity switcher, wherever that may be, I have it in my top panel now, uh, you can see that there are not a whole lot of options. You can show the current activity icon, show the generic activity icon, and show the current activity name. Those, those are the two options for that. That's not very useful. You can, um, yeah, there's not a whole lot there really. It's just not, it's not a whole lot around activities and activities are kind of crammed into the workspace behavior right under virtual desktops. So yeah, I think, I think there's not a whole lot there yet still and and they've persisted between KDE 4 and 5. So I mean it's still a a subsystem that exists. It is still something it's a way of 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 I I don't want to say the word containerizing, but I mean it, you know a very lightweight kind of containerized appearance. You can kind of separate things. Um but But that separation is very, very surface level. It is it is really... It is almost like just having a show desktop button, you know, where you hide all of your open windows. But then you can open up new windows. So, yeah. I don't know. I I want activities to become something, although I don't exactly know what I want it to become. Um... And and I don't think I I'm not a hundred percent sure that it that they are going to become something. But there you go. So with the K activities dash CLI, you can list activities, you can create a new activity, you can remove an activity by ID, you can start an activity by ID, you can stop an activity by ID, you can show the current activity, you can set the current activity, so you can switch from the terminal you can go to the next or the previous activity and a couple of other things but that those are the those are the really really important ones i think and uh it's that's it's nice it's a it's it's a nice little robust terminal tool for a for a graphical tool that i don't know how many people i don't know how many of us actually use them in real life okay so that's that's k activities see if there's anything that i can knock out in the before we end that's uh k activities oh k activity stats um yeah let's let's take a look at that really quick this is a library for accessing usage data collected by activity so this could potentially once again be kind of useful and you know it it could probably even be i think there there could be an argument that this would be the reason you would want to use k activities. so here, here we go. So once again, a bunch of header files, a bunch of cmake um, modules. And in this case, there are no binaries. but what this gives you access to are the statistics for how often someone is using. a a specific k activity so you've got things like um k activities stats export query um result set result watcher result model and so on so you've got you've got stats and i could see someone thinking okay well what i what i will do is set up a bunch of different activities one for gaming one for managing my finances one for Doing office work, one for um, listening. Well, listening to music would span all those, I would think. Whatever, watching movies, uh, and then so that that way you have to, or you don't have to, but you willingly switched to a specific activity to engage in a specific task. And from that, from 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 data collected by how often you're using each activity, you could then sort of understand what you are spending your time on each day and i know a lot of people do enjoy doing that that's something that you know kind of optimizing their how how much they're they're using something and 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 figuring out like what are they spending their time on each day that that that's kind of an important thing to some people so i could see this being useful although not not incredibly useful necessarily because after all there's no application there's no front end for this there there's there's nothing you know it's just a bunch of libraries so it's not like you could just open up your activity stat viewer or something at least as far as i know i'm not seeing anything like that um and and just see how how that works well you don't have you don't have that um which is too bad i think that would be that would probably be a very valid argument for activities i mean people would still have to remember to switch activities which i think is part of the problem but there you go um and then finally within the k activity realm there is a k activity manager d which i don't have access to it's a system d service apparently uh, there is a user lib64 libexec k manager d uh, which hooks into presumably user lib64 libkactivity k manager d plugin.so, but um, that doesn't seem to do a whole lot, and the kactivity manager doesn't seem to respond really to any kind of dash-h or dash-v or anything like that, so I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, yeah, it looks like it depends on libkf5dbus add-ons and a bunch of cute five widgets, as expected. I don't see anything specific. Yeah, I'm not really sure what what this does, but it is not launching for me apparently, or it has already launched. Uh, I guess I could do a man, four k activity manager d. No doesn't, doesn't exist. I didn't think it did because I didn't see it in the list, but there you go. Yeah. So that's, um, that's K activities really a little bit difficult to really talk about a whole lot because like I say, it's just not really, I feel like it is not quite where people want it to be yet, but I do think that eventually it could be somewhere that is useful and the K activity manager D is supposed to be a system service to manage users' activities, track usage patterns, and so on. But in terms of it being a user-facing activity, I don't really see how how to make that happen yet. I don't think it quite quite happens. Um, so, for instance, when a user is interacting with a computer, this is the K activities um, blurb from their from the KDE uh, GitLab. Uh, there are three main areas of contextual information that they might that, that may affect the behavior of the system who the user is where they are and what they are doing activities deals with the last one that is what they are doing an activity might be developing a kde application studying 19th century art composing music or watching funny videos each of these activities may involve multiple applications and a single application may be used in multiple activities for instance Most activities are likely to involve using a web browser, but different activities will probably involve different websites. K-activities provides the infrastructure needed to manage a user's activities, allowing them to switch between tasks and for applications to update their state to match the user's current activity. This includes a daemon, a library for interacting with that daemon, and plugins for integrating with other frameworks. Now, the other frameworks that it says, it says usage. Most applications that wish to be activity-aware want to use k-activities, consumer, uh, k-activities, colon, colon, consumer, that's the library or the the class, to keep track of the user's current activity, and k-activities, colon, colon, resource instances to notify the activity manager of resources the user has accessed. This is not necessary for resources accessed, with KIO as a plugin is provided to do that automatically. So a lot of this sounds like there's a bunch of infrastructure in place and quite possibly some applications are utilizing that infrastructure. Where you go for the end result seems as yet unclear. Still, it's an interesting idea and I do hope they continue to work on it. I I think it would be, it is, I, I think it's worth exploring. Because maybe it's not in the exact place it wants to be yet. Maybe it's not something that people are finding useful yet. But it, it just—it really does seem like it could be a powerful tool at some point. Just as soon as you, the the developers figure out what they're doing with it, and and I think also the users have to figure out how they want to use it. Because I myself, I don't I don't see myself ever using it. But I, I can definitely see how other people would find it useful. I think that's everything about K activities that I've got to say. Uh, actually, probably a little bit more than I really had to say, but um, it got me thinking. And uh, that's it for this episode, then. So thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you next time. What's with the asinine question?